So I want to start this morning with a question for you. And that question is this, what in your life feels like it could never be resolved? Uh, it might be marriage issues. It might be uh, your own lack of personal discipline. It could be a sickness that you're going through or maybe that a family member is going through. It, it might be financial struggles. It might be uh, a job situation. It might be an emotional struggle that you have. Uh, it could actually, it might be something connected to this crisis. But but I, I'd ask the question, what in your life feels so big that, that it could never be resolved? That, that if you were to actually pray an honest prayer about this thing, you would probably say, God, I don't believe you can or will bring resolution to this. You know, uh, there's a reality that when you have your eyes on hard circumstances, uh, you can easily be led into doubt. So uh, let's talk about doubt for a second. Doubt is the result of unmet expectations. Doubt is the result of unmet expectations. So I just want to give you a heads up this morning. Uh, this sermon today, this will not be a, uh, a necessarily feel-good sermon. Like uh, what I'm not going to tell you this morning, I'm not going to tell you, hey, this is what you need to do. When you doubt, you you need to just believe and, th and then God's going to resolve all of your unmet expectations. Like you just need to believe. You just need to have faith and God's going to fix all of your doubts. If you just believe, then God's going to show up in all the ways that you've been thinking he will show up. And the reason I'm not going to tell you that this morning is because the Bible doesn't tell us things like that. Like the, the Bible doesn't tell us that, that God is here to resolve all of our expectations or all of our unmet expectations if we just believe in it. So before we even get into talking about how God responds to our doubt, because it's important, uh, we need to make sure actually that, that our expectations are set straight. So, uh, so let's talk about some things that God promises or perhaps that God doesn't promise. So, so God doesn't promise to help us maintain a certain standard of living. Like God never gives us the promise that I will always ever only keep you at a certain standard of living. God doesn't give us the promise that he will always keep us comfortable. In fact, it's really interesting. One of the most comforting passages in all of scripture, Psalm 23 says uh, about the Lord, uh, who is the shepherd, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff are literally things intended to keep the sheep uncomfortable. Like they, they poke and they prod the sheep to stop them from wandering off the path and keep them on the path. So, so there's not a promise that God is always going to keep us comfortable, that, that God will always keep us in the house that we have, or that God will always give us a certain job or career path, or that God will always help us to, to hold on to the backyard that we have, or that God will always give us a certain level of health. Like none of these things are actually things that are absolutely promised to us in Scripture. But, but for some reason, and maybe it's because of the culture we live in, maybe it's because of some messages that we got when we were growing up, but, but for some reason, we tend to operate in our hearts as if that these are promises that God has given to us. So as Christians, like if that's the case, if those are not promises given to us, then, then as Christians, we should actually ask the question, like, what is it that God does promise to us? Like, where should our expectations be? So here are some promises that God does give to us. Number one, his presence 
is with us in everything. That is a promise that you can bank on. Number two, he will supply every need that you have to bring him the most glory. That is absolutely a promise that you can own. Number three, here's a promise you can own. He will pull out all the stops to make us more like Jesus. Number four, he will build his church. Number five, he gives us a promise that we are forgiven and clean and pure and righteous and holy and blameless before God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Number six, he gives us the promise that death does not have the final say for us because Jesus won a victory over death in his resurrection. So you know what? Those are all promises that we can own. And the, the problem is, is when I begin to doubt, when I begin to get uncertain about the future, when I begin to blame God or question God or despair in my circumstances, like what it reveals is that there are actually some misaligned expectations inside of me. Like my expectations are misaligned with God's promises. So, so when I'm doubting or I get uncertain, uh, it's because I've somehow allowed my expectations to get out of alignment. So let me tell you this. Uh, there are a lot of people, a lot of pastors even out there saying, you know what? Hey, everyone doubts. Doubt is okay. God can handle your doubt. This is what these pastors say. And they're not wrong. Like, absolutely. God is big. He can absolutely handle my doubts. He is a, he's a huge God. And you know what? In the midst of my doubts, he doesn't forsake me. He gets it. He understands but but there's kind of a missing message when, when people say these sorts of things. That there's a message that we get because we can get the idea when we say those things that, that doubt is somehow okay. And just because God understands my doubt, just because God doesn't forsake me in my doubt, just because God is big enough to handle my doubt, that doesn't actually make my doubt okay or, or, or no big deal. Because the reality is my doubt it's revealing something that is out of whack with my expectations. Like something's not right in my expectations, and that is why my doubt is there. And so God's desire, like, and listen, I've like I've been in places of doubt before, the, the, but but we don't stop with that. We we use it to evaluate what's going on with our expectations because God's desire is actually to bring my expectations into alignment with what brings him the most glory. So this morning, before we get into the passage, uh, I just want to look at two common expectation mistakes, like two common mistakes that we, we make with our expectations. Number one, I expect God-sized things from a human being. So, so when th this might be from other people, this might be from myself, but at the end of the day, uh, you're, you're I, they happen when uh, I'm looking to a human being to show up and do something to perform in some way that that only actually God can do. And so what happens is when that that person does not perform that particular way or do that particular thing or that person fails in some way, um, I now become disappointed. I now start to doubt. I now start to to wonder if God is real, all of these things. And the problem was not with God. The problem was with my expectations. So that's number one. Number two. I expect God to deliver in ways that he never promised. So uh, it could be actually like a timeline that you place upon God that God never agreed to. Uh, it could be uh, something that you expected God to give you that God didn't give you, and so now you're disappointed. But the reality is this is a common expectation mistake is that, that I expect God to deliver in ways that he never promised. So why do I set that up? Well, um, when we come upon Moses in our story— 
he is having this interaction with God. Moses has basically, like just before uh, verse 1 in chapter 6, he is basically, he's expressed both doubt and blame towards God. And he's actually, he's guilty of expectations that fall into the, both of these categories that I, I just mentioned. So, you know what, he has expected God-sized things from a human, human being. Namely, I, I mean, he's expected God-sized things from himself. Because all of his excuses that he makes with God, he's always saying, who am I that Pharaoh would respond like this to me? Who am I that Israel would listen to me? He always asks these questions, and that means that he actually thinks that the expectations are on him. And so, so that's uh, he's making that mistake, but then he also makes the mistake of expecting God to deliver in ways that he's never promised. Because uh, at the end of chapter 5, he's there blaming God, and it becomes clear. Like he had, again, placed a timeline on God that God never agreed to. Uh, he had he had expected things. He had got he expected God to do things in particular ways that God had never promised to do. And so, because God doesn't move and and save Israel exactly when Moses wants God to move and save Israel, he starts to blame God, and he bases uh, his blaming. Actually, it's interesting when Moses blames God, he starts to base that blame on his own actions. In Exodus 5, 22 and 23, we see this exchange that Moses has with God. And this is what he says. It says that Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? You hear the blame in what he says. He says, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh. So he's basing it on his own action. He's saying, Lord, you're supposed to respond to my action. And look, here's my action. I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, and he's still doing evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Lord, this is my timeline. I did what you said. I'm the one who performed, and you haven't done it. And so now this is your fault. This is a problem. You've done evil. You see, Moses, he expected his own action to bring about God-sized things in a way that God has not at all promised for Moses. And now we actually find Moses in the middle of doubt and blame. Okay, so for what it's worth, we are actually on the cusp of Moses getting ready to step into what is the pinnacle of his calling. You know, God, is he's going to respond to Moses' doubt. And, and the conversation that he has here with Moses, it actually sets the stage for his judgment of Egypt through the plagues and then his deliverance of Israel through those same plagues. So, so God responds to Moses' doubt, and this is what he does. He reveals five aspects of his own character to Moses. So uh, before we get real quick into the passage, I just want to do a quick review. The name, the name that God has used to identify himself to Israel becomes a crucial part of his conversation with Moses here because God uses his name as the grounding piece of all of these aspects of his character. So just for what it's worth, like it's been six weeks since we talked about God's name. And so we're going to go back real quick and just do a review of that. So when you see in your Bibles, uh, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, uh, when you see it like that in your Old Testament, that is our English translation's way of writing the divine name. So uh, so it might uh, the Hebrew letters are over there on your left. Uh, it uh, transliterates, or the way it comes out in English is YHWH, which uh, some people say Yahweh, some people say Jehovah. But the idea is this is this is how the divine name gets written out, and this is what it means. 
It means I am. Like when, when God names himself to Israel, when he identifies himself to Israel, this is how he's calling himself. He's saying, I am. Like I'm the, the foundation of all existence. And so, so God looks at Moses' doubt and he responds to it. And this is how he responds to it with these five characteristics. Number one, he says, I am resolved. I am resolved. So Exodus 6, 1 to 2. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. So, so he's talking about Pharaoh here. Pharaoh will send them out. He will get rid of the Israelites. He will drive them out of their land. And God is resolved that this will happen. And so, so resolve is the drive to do what you have made up your mind to do. So God says, you know what, Moses, you might be concerned about what Pharaoh has done, but, but let me actually tell you what I'm going to do. By the time I'm done with Pharaoh, he's going to be excited to get rid of you. Like Moses, Pharaoh may have used his power to do what he has done, but, but what Pharaoh has done doesn't somehow nullify my commitment to my own purposes. So you know what? We live in this world, and things might be hard in this world. Sin might be having victory in our world. People might still be oppressing people in our world. Uh, disease still takes people in our world. Addiction still exists. But all of these things are, are here in this world, but the existence of sin does not somehow mean that God has changed his mind to not do his purposes. Like God has set himself to his purposes and he will carry them out. So, so then uh, as if to sign his name to all of these promises in this passage, God says in verse two, says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Literally what God is saying is I am, I am, I am the I am. So, so you know what? God's responding to Moses and he's saying, you know, Pharaoh might be strong. He might be determined. He might be hardened. He might be stubborn. But no person's determination competes with my resolve to carry out my plans. Like this is what God is saying to Moses. You know, so it's, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, I read uh, an article, heard a, a report this week about a Harvard law professor who uh, is basically has has written a suggestion to the the United States government uh, about um, decreasing the options available to parents for education, essentially insisting that like uh, society should be the ones to educate their kids. Um, and uh, a number of people are worried about this, especially uh, a number of Christians. Uh, uh, and the reason they're worried about this is because, you know, Christians, there are a lot of Christians who choose to homeschool and that sort of thing. But but there is uh, this idea that, OK, it, society, we don't want society to be the ones to form our kids. We want to be the ones to, to form our kids. And it's interesting. So this is what she said. Uh, she said, you know, you're all uh, Christians or uh, other religions might be worried about losing their religion or their religion dying off because uh, because society will educate their kids and that sort of thing. And, and it's really interesting what she said. She said this. She said, but the religions that are most worthy to survive will survive. And I thought, you know, that's that's interesting. Um, 
I don't know if she actually realized what she was saying because what she thought she was saying was, you know, the religions that are most in line with what society wants, that are most accepting of what society wants, that those are the ones that, that will survive. But but what she doesn't actually take into account and what she said is that Jesus, uh, the I am, the God of the universe has said, I will build my church, which means that like the religion most worthy to survive, the Jesus religion is the one that will survive. Like that's that's what is actually true. So so she says this and she thinks like, oh yeah, the ones that society deems are okay will survive. But but what's actually true is that God, the I am, the one who sets himself to his purposes and is resolved to fulfill those purposes, his religion is the one that will survive. So so anyway, that's I thought just thought that was interesting. Um, but uh, you know, God's meeting here with Moses in the bush, uh, or well, he's already met with Moses in the bush, and, and he's saying, Moses, hey, you remember when we met and I gave you my name, and, and now he's reiterating his name to Moses, and he's saying, hey, Moses, remember who I am. I have committed to my plans. I have my purposes. Like, these things will happen. Okay, so then God, he uh, reveals the second aspect of his character to Moses. Number two, I am faithful. So verse 3 says, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So let's talk about faithfulness first. Faithfulness is an unwavering commitment to seek the good of the people you love. So, so God takes Moses back to when uh, God chose Abraham and when he committed himself to Abraham and Abraham's sons. And, and he's telling Moses, hey, you know what? They didn't have my name. I didn't tell them I am, I am. But you know what? I still worked for their good. Like I still gave Abraham and Sarah a son when it was uh, considered far beyond possible for them. I still protected their family even when uh, each of them did really dumb things. I still saved the the nation from famine. I still made them increasing number. Uh, I chose to have a special relationship with them. All through it, I didn't give them my name, though. You know what, Moses? I'm giving you my name now. I'm get, You have my name. It's something that even they didn't have. And, and so he goes on in verses 4 and 5. He says, I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So uh, let's look back. Just consider the book of Genesis for a second. There are several covenants that God makes with people in the book of Genesis. And, and covenants are, are these times when God commits himself in relationship to people. So not once, not once in the entirety of Scripture does God Abandon the covenant that he makes to people. So Israel, you know what? They would disobey gods. They would go on, or they would go on to disobey God and worship other gods. They would abandon God. And they they would do all of this, and, and, and then first a few of them, and then they would start to do it in droves. So it's interesting, the prophet Hosea, he actually illustrates God's relationship to Israel. Uh, God has Hosea go and marry a prostitute. This prostitute gives Hosea a son, and then what happens is she is unfaithful to Hosea. And she goes off and, and marries some other husband, and then Hosea actually uh, goes, and, and her life becomes hard. Hosea goes, and, and he purchases her. He buys her back from this husband that she's gone after. Like and this whole picture of Hosea and and his wife, like this is this is to display God's commitment 
to his people. God is so committed to his people that he remains faithful to them all the way, faithful to his covenant to them all the way, even though they consistently disobeyed him and turned towards other gods. Like this is how faithful God is to his people. Like people would continue to disobey and disregard and chase after other gods, and, and he would continue, he would still bring about the Messiah through Israel. Like Jesus would still come through Israel and offer hope to the world. So he clarifies for Moses, you know what, uh, these, these people I gave the promise to, these fathers, uh, they didn't have my name, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, but Moses, you have my name now, and this is what I am means. I will work for the good of my people. Moses, you can, you can count on the fact I've committed myself to my people, and I will work for the good of my people. So I have a question for you this morning. Are you experiencing doubt or worry or fear or anxiety or maybe even anger at God? You know what? There are circumstances in our world right now that could very easily lead us to do this. Absolutely. Especially the worry and the fear and the anxiety. You know what? If, if you're in a place where you're experiencing any of these things, the antidote is this. Remember who I am. Remember who I am. Like in the midst of all of these feelings, in the, in the midst of doubt as it arises, the antidote is to remember who God says he is. Okay, so then God reveals the third aspect of his character. Number three, I am able. Verse six says, they say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So you know what? Uh, Pharaoh has a lot of power. In fact, uh, if you go back, if you look back up to verse 1, uh, Pharaoh actually has what God calls a strong hand. And, and Pharaoh has used this strong hand to oppress the Israelite people. He's used this strong hand to kind of keep them down, to keep them busy, to keep them working. And, and I think uh, there's a part of the story where God was actually trying to help Moses understand something. You know what? As, as Moses comes up against Pharaoh, Moses actually has no hope of making Pharaoh do anything. Pharaoh has a very strong hand. Uh, Moses has actually come to an end of himself when he has gone before Pharaoh, because when he went before Pharaoh, Pharaoh made their lives harder. And so uh, probably, you know, Moses could even be holding out for maybe just a little bit of compassion in Pharaoh. But all of this, like God is showing Moses, no, actually, you're not going to have any power to change Pharaoh. You know, when Moses stands before Pharaoh, he can't do anything. So God says, you know, Moses... I have an outstretched arm. So, so he's contrasting that with Pharaoh's strong hand, right? Back in verse 1, he's saying, I have an outstretched arm, and with my outstretched arm, even the strength of Pharaoh is within my grasp. And that would cause us to look back at verse 1 and how verse 1 says, you know, I'm going to make Pharaoh drive these people out of Egypt. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the one to make this happen. I'm able to do this. So, so God says, you know what, Moses, you can't make Pharaoh do anything. You can't do anything about the situation of this people. You are simply my emissary. And you know what, people of Israel, you can't do anything. As you send your foremans before Pharaoh to go and explain, like, your plight and, and hope that Pharaoh will have some kind of mercy, you know what, you can't do anything. But remember who I am. Because I am able. 
I'm giving you my name, and, and this is what it means. I can do this. You can't do it, but I can, and I will. Okay, fourth aspect of God's character that he reveals to Moses here. Number four, I am on your side. Verse seven says this, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So he's saying, uh, saying to the people of Israel, you know what? The whole world seems like it's against you, Israel. The Egyptians hate you. Uh, your, your taskmasters make your life miserable. You have this ruler now who has increased your work so much that it's threatening your life. And on top of that, the gods of the Egyptians have no concern for you. So, so you're in this situation where uh, nobody's looking out for you. Nobody has your back. Nobody's on your side. So, so have you, uh, people who are listening to me, my church, Alliance Bible Church, have you ever been in this kind of a situation? In a situation where it was clear or it felt so clear to you that, that no one is really on my side. Maybe you went through a loss and no one showed up to comfort you. Uh, maybe you had a boss or uh, who who had failed to see the good that you were doing and and only saw the bad. Um, maybe you had a season where uh, you were experiencing one hardship after another, and these things kept hitting you and hitting you and coming after you. And the the point in the midst of all of this is, you know what? When a world broken by sin seems to be working against you, God says to you, "Remember who I am." So He says, you know. I want to be with you. I'm your good shepherd. I bought your life at great cost to myself, the blood of my own son on the cross. So your situation, it might seem dire to you. You might feel alone, but remember who I am. I am on your side. Okay, fifth aspect, final aspect that God of his character that God reveals here in this passage. Number five, I am promise keeper. Verse 8 says, I will bring you out into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So here for the last time in this passage, God, he signs his name and clarifies its meaning. He makes it clear that, that his word does not return void. He makes it clear that, that while leaders might uh, speak words that carry no weight, God's integrity is at the core of his character. So if he has spoken a promise, it will come to pass. So don't forget, uh, our expectations can sometimes get out of whack. We might think God has promised a timeline that, that we have made up in our own minds. He might, we might think that God has promised us something uh, to give us something that he's never actually promised. And, you know, what's interesting is that God is far more patient than we are. Uh, but that doesn't change the reality. God always keeps his word. He will always do the things that he has promised. And so, so what are the promises that are reliable? That will come to pass without a doubt. Well, for Israel, those promises, if you remember, we, we categorize it. There are three clear promises that God gave to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you kids and land and blessing. Like Those were the promises that God gave to Abraham. And we see even, even at the beginning of Exodus, when uh, all of these things were happening to the people of Israel, they were still expanding. They were still growing in number. In fact, the harder Pharaoh oppressed them, the more that they grew. Right, so so that was for Israel. These were the promises that God had given to them, and and He is committed to those promises. 
for us? What are those promises for us? Well, here are some that Jesus gave to us. You know, I go to prepare a place for you. That's one. Another one, Jesus says, I'm coming back. Another one we see uh, in the epistles, we see that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus himself says, I will build my church. Uh, the, uh, we're, we're told that uh, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have this promise that we are declared righteous and holy before God despite our sin. Uh, we're, we're, we're told, uh, you know, God gives this promise to us. I will be your God and you will be my people. You know what? These promises, they don't somehow cease to be true because of our circumstances. Yet so often our circumstances will lead us to doubt. So God says, you know what? Remember who I am. I have promised it and it will happen. So I want to speak to this unique moment in time where I'm here on this side of my computer and you're there on, on that side of your device and, and you're listening to this. And there could be um, 1,800 distractions for you. Uh, it could be something in my background back here that you keep looking at that keeps catching your eye. It could be the flowers over my shoulder. You're wondering why uh, the pastor has has these pretty flowers over his shoulder. I don't know what it is. It could be uh, Netflix that is open on the other tab of your browser. It could be uh, you're scrolling through social media as you're also trying to pay attention to the sermon. It could be uh, anything uh, around. There could be a number of distractions. It could be actually that uh, you're inclined to stay put in your doubt and you prefer your doubt over actually listening to who God is. But the reality is, it's like there are all of these potentials for distractions right here at this point in time. And we just talk through the characteristics of God that can hold true for no other being in the universe. So, so distractions are dangerous for us because they can actually keep us from receiving and owning these things that are true about God. They can actually keep us from living in the power of God's name and God's promises. And these distractions, they keep us stuck where we are. And, and I say that, I emphasize that, I, I talk about this particular point in time where there could be several distractions for you right now because that is what happened to Israel. God was giving these promises about himself. He was giving these aspects of his character. And verse 9 says this, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Like God was trying to give his people hope in the midst of their desperation. Like in God, he so often calls people to remember him. But, but the problem is, is that we so often let life with both its comfort and, and its brokenness overwhelm us, distract us, kind of block our vision, put a haze over our eyes. And it keeps us from having hearts that are thrilled to acknowledge him. So we, like Israel here, can end up in places where we are not grounded in his character. So church, let's not keep making the same mistake. Like let's not keep choosing to keep our hearts inattentive to the God who is making himself known to us. Like this is our God. He is resolved. He is faithful to his people. He is able to do anything that we think would simply overwhelm us. He is on our side. He keeps his word. He always keeps his promises. And, and Alliance Bible Church, our God is so good. Okay, so what? So what? 
just one this morning. God says, I am. So I will, despite your doubt. I am, so I will, despite your doubt. Verse 10, it goes on and says this. It says, so the Lord said to Moses. This is, by the way, after Israel has agreed to continue not listening to Moses, to continue doubting the Lord. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Moses, go in. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. 12, but Moses said to the Lord, Moses continues to doubt. Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. So verse 13, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. You know what? Moses' eyes, they were on everything else except the Lord. Israel's eyes, the people of Israel, they, they were on everything else except the Lord. And all of these people, they doubted. In the coming weeks, what's going to happen as we go through this series on the plagues is we're going to watch Moses, with all of his doubt, simply obey God. And then God is actually going to show up. Like one by one in the plagues, he's actually going to put every one of the Egyptian gods to shame. He's going to make a mockery of Pharaoh, a Pharaoh who actually sees himself as God. He's going to disrupt every one of the distractions in Egypt, every source of power and confidence that exists in Egypt. He's going to prove to his people that he's the only one who can be trusted, and he will put the power of his name on display, and he will save his people. So, so maybe what you need to do today is realign your expectations. Maybe you're trusting uh, something to be for you or someone to be for you, what only God can be for you. Maybe you're expecting things of God that he's never promised. You know what? The promises that he does offer, they're already far more than we deserve. Maybe you're angry or doubting. Uh, transparency time. So um, this is where this sermon, this as I was preparing this, hit me this week. And, and I even prayed about this in our prayer meeting on Friday night. Um, you know what? I've discovered in my role that I often get to a place where I am afraid of failing. I'm afraid of the idea of failure. I'm afraid of dropping a ball in some way or something like that. Uh, I, I get to a place where I doubt my own ability to lead. Uh, you know, I see so many things that I could have done better on my part. And you're you're going to hear these things, and you're going to like you're going to want to jump out and encourage me and say, "Oh, it's okay." Like, uh, uh, you know, I'm so encouraged by you and all this stuff. Like, uh, this is not the goal of me saying these things. So just like hear me out on that, because uh, church, you have done such such a good job of encouraging me. You have you all are are awesome, and you have been. Uh, I just appreciate how much you've reached out to me in this time. But I say that just so you can get an idea of what the Lord has been working on in me. You know, the Lord's been showing me that that the fear and doubt that creep up in me, that they're coming because my expectations are out of alignment. Like they're coming because I've somehow in my heart, uh, not intentionally, obviously, but, but in my heart, I've somehow come to believe that I'm the one who's supposed to build the church. And I've placed on myself something that only God can do. And I tell you that because I think more than anything, this passage is a call for all of us to realign our perspectives in this season with who God actually is and like the things that he has truly promised. 
knowing that he is faithful to his people the whole way. So I tell you how the Lord's working in me in hopes that actually each one of us would take ownership of the Lord revealing and realigning these things in us so that like there's a day coming when we come out of pandemic, we actually get to the other side of this pandemic. And my prayer is that we would be a people who are fully surrendered to the Lord in that time. So church, God's call to all of us this morning is whether you're doubting or anxious, or worried, or just distracted, his call to us is this. Remember who I am. Church, would you pray with me, please? God, I'm, I'm grateful for the way that your word instructed me this week. I'm grateful um, just for the reality that you continue to reveal things that, that were never stopped in our growth, but that you continue to work on us. You continue to show us what's going on. Lord, I pray for everybody who is listening and interacting and worshiping with us this morning. Um, Lord, I pray that you would be revealing these things in hearts. Lord, and I ask for um, all of us that we would be quick to set these things aside. Lord, because your church is going to be needed on the other side of this pandemic. There's going to be an opportunity for us to rise up. And Lord, the people that you're most successful in rising up with are people who are simply surrendered to you. People who surrender our expectations. People who are clinging to your promises. People who have these things grounding their identities. Lord, and as we do this, you build your church. You do the things that you say you will do. So Lord, help us to own your character. Help us to believe and to trust. Lord, would you do away with the doubt that exists inside of us? I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.